lifetime ago in 1998. I was a student at Bethany College of Missions in Bloomington, Minnesota. And one of the things that we did as missionary students, well, we had a weekly evangelism um, outing. And I was leading a team of um, international musicians doing street music in downtown Minneapolis. This is just a few of the stories from Stoned and Left for Dead. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. So, like I said in the, uh, the intro there, I was leading this group of uh, people from really all around the world, Ireland, Canada, the States, and uh, probably some other places occasionally, but we were going down to uh, downtown Minneapolis. We would take a little camp stove I had set up, make some coffee take some sandwiches or apples, whatever we could scrounge out of the dining hall there at the college, throw our musical instruments into the station wagon on Thursday nights, and head down to the intersection of Cedar Avenue and Riverside Drive. We were, we were right next to the University of Minnesota, right up the street from this place called the Hard Times Cafe, this uh, vegetarian coffee bar that had fantastic coffee and we had started out as a uh, coffee house ministry, going out, hanging out in coffee houses and talking to people. And then we had moved out to the street because uh, it helped us engage more. So that's what we were doing. We'd just give away coffee, play Jesus songs, and talk to whoever walked by. And we had some pretty interesting adventures. Um, and I just want to give some of the highlights. One of the ones that that really sticks with me the most was a girl named Cat. Now, Cat uh, came up one night. It would have been spring of 98, I believe. And she and about four or five other uh, young teenagers came strolling up. And they were hungry, man. They came in. They started wiping us out and sticking sandwiches in their pockets and stuff. And Cat was kind of the outgoing, you know, unofficial leader of this band of, of kids and got to talking to her. And what we found out was they were they were a roving band of homeless runaways. And they had just got into Minneapolis from Phoenix, Arizona. They would spend the winter in Phoenix, and then they would come up to Minneapolis for the summer because the, uh, the services for homeless youth were good in both of those places. And, and nobody wants to live on the streets in Minneapolis in the wintertime. It's, it's brutal. <laughs> so... You know, had no idea that we had these people moving back and forth from city to city uh, and just living, you know, a day at a time, hand to mouth, this kind of a little roving community. And I remember talking to Kat and um, I asked her, you know, of course, we were evangelists, right? We were out sharing our faith. And I asked her if she knew about Jesus, because that's really what, you know, our mission was there. And she told me a very um, heartbreaking story. She told me that her 
parents had been well-connected people in Pat Robertson's church, uh, the guy who has the uh, the 700 Club, very prominent Christian personality. And she had grown up in that church. She had gone there all her life. You know, she had gone to Sunday school, and she knew the songs, and she knew the words to all of the the uh, psalms. And, you know, she she knew, you know, the gig. She had, you know, a, was a good church kid. And as she got older, she began to question some of the things that she was taught. You know, she said, you know, I was looking at, at my parents and I was looking at the people around me and it just seemed to be about, you know, raising money and, and having control. And I didn't really see a whole lot of, uh, of this Jesus stuff that they were talking about. And so she began asking questions. And that led to conflict with her parents and and she said to me, you know, my whole life they've been telling me what to believe, but they, they could never tell me why I should believe it. And that was that was a hard one to hear from a 15-year-old girl um, who was living on the streets. She said that one night she had come home late when she was 14 years old, found her bag on the front porch and the door locked. And she said, so I picked up the bag and walked away, and I've never looked back. She had no desire to go back home. And I remember, you know, begging her, you know, first, don't reject Jesus. I I understand struggling with church. I get it. I struggle with church. Uh, That's nothing new. And I said, "But, but don't reject Jesus just because you have an issue with church. Jesus is for real. And you need to hold on to him. And then I said, you know, please, you know, I mean, I'm, I was a father of four and I'm still a father of four, grandparent of two. And I said, you know, please call home. Go find a payphone, call collect, call your parents, let them know you're alive. I promise you, uh, if you've been out on the street for a year, they are desperate to hear from you. Please, please go call your parents. And I'll never forget, she she smiled at me as she put another sandwich into her pocket, and uh, the gang of kids disappeared into the night. And I never saw them again. And that one haunts me because, you know, I'd like to believe that she made that call and was reconciled, but the, the odds are that she didn't and that she wound up dead from, you know, drugs or exposure or some kind of violence that would occur to a very attractive 15-year-old girl living on the streets of a major city. It's it's a hard and brutal world, and it's no better today. It's worse today, probably, than it was in 1998. But that was what the street mission was all about. It was trying to give hope. And, you know, we did have the guy who came up who was probably on drugs, we don't really know, who attacked us. He uh, kicked over our table and picked up our chairs and threw them all over the place. And the guys were trying to get our our guitars and drums and stuff up and out of the way so he didn't break any of those. I mean, he was just berserk. He was so angry that we dared speak the name of Jesus on the street corner. And um, we cut short that night. After we finally got him away and the police actually showed up and asked, you know, are you guys okay? And we said, yeah, we're all right. And 
said, you know, you just never know. And, uh, and they thanked us for the ministry that we were doing. We, we never had a problem with the, the police. They were grateful that somebody was out there, you know, doing something positive. And, uh, and one of my favorite nights, I, I, I play harmonica, you know, and, and we were down, you know, just jamming on the street and, and this, um, Native American guy walked up and, and he was hammered. I mean, he was absolutely hammered, but he was a happy hammered and his name was Dog Soldier. Yeah, I'm, I'm not making this up. His name, he told me, was Dog Soldier. And he asked if he could play the harmonica. And this was, you know, hard for me. Not that I'm a germaphobe, but um, I don't like to, you know, I don't like to share spit with strangers. But he asked, and... For the sake of the gospel, I gave Dog Soldier my harmonica, and we sat and jammed out to the blues. It was awesome. And uh, and then the real act of faith was when he turned around and handed me the harmonica back and said, Now you play. <laughs> uh, so I did. I, <laughs> I wiped it out and knocked it out as clean as I could get it. And I played, and Dog Soldier howled and sang and danced about, and and then he disappeared into the night, and I never saw him again either. But I'll never forget Dog Soldier at Cedar and Riverside, or Cat, or the crazy guy who attacked us. And there's one other guy that I'll certainly never forget, maybe the most important thing I learned while I was there, and I'll share that when I come back. Where is compassion and 
So as I said, we, we chose this location because it was right next to this really cool coffee house we've been hanging out in, re- literally right across the street from the University of Minnesota. We thought that there'd be a lot of um, students coming through and we would you know, engage the university students. That was kind of the idea of the location. What we didn't realize is that we basically had planted ourselves in the midst of a neighborhood filled with Somalian refugees who are all Muslims. And so get the picture where it's an international group of people standing on the street corner singing songs about Jesus in a 90% Muslim neighborhood. And uh, that led to uh, a little conflict, <clears throat> as you might imagine. Uh, there was this one guy, and he kind of led this pack of guys. You know, there were like four or five of them. And this guy, and his name was Mohammed. Now, I, I know that's you know, sounds like I'm making that up, but I'm not. That's why he said his name was Muhammad is a common name. And uh, Muhammad and his guys would come up to us every Thursday night and maybe come up and, and just start yelling at us. You know, you know, Jesus is just a man. He ate like a man. He crapped like a man. He was just a man. Mary's just another woman. You believe in three gods, you know, 
Jesus, Mary, and, and Allah, and, and uh, you're all going to hell. And we would get into these heated arguments about, you know, theology. You know, and I've, we challenge, I've challenged him on, you know, the Koran is false and the Bible is true. And, you know, we just head to head. They'd come and they'd scream and, you know, I'd fight back and then they'd, you know, give us a hand gesture and disappear. And, uh, you know, and it, it, it became a regular thing. It was like week after week, every Thursday night, we were just, you know, cringing, waiting for Muhammad and his posse to show up to come and, and yell at us. And, um, and, you know, and I was the leader, right? I was the old guy. I was, I was in my, my mid thirties and, uh, all the rest of the guys were, were in their twenties. And so I'm trying to figure out, you know, how, how do I handle this? And in fact, that, that whole experience led me to my, um, my independent study on, uh, writing a Christian apologetic for Islam. And I, I really deep studied Islam and the challenges of, of sharing our faith with, with our Muslim brothers, because they are, you know, brothers, uh, not in Christ, but, but brothers in humanity. And, uh, we're all created by the same God. So, uh, I'll never forget, I was really, really praying about Muhammad. You know, one Thursday afternoon, I'm praying, all right, God, what do I do about Muhammad? Because I know he's coming back. And and I really felt in my spirit, the, the Lord speak and say, look, why are you arguing with this man? Why don't you listen to him? And it had not, not occurred to me that the object wasn't to uh, to win the fight or win the argument or to forcefully convert Muhammad to Christianity. It never occurred to me that maybe what I was really supposed to do was to be a compassionate, loving human being and um, give this man an opportunity to to share his story. And so... You know, I told the, the group, you know, this is what we're going to do. Uh, and, and we were. We were called Stoned and Left for Dead. That was the name of the band. That was the name of the, the mission. Uh, it's biblical. Uh, it's based on a passage about the Apostle Paul who was, you know, stoned and, and left for dead. But it always tickled me to call ourselves that. And uh, anyway, I told them, you know, this is what we're going to do. When Muhammad shows up, let me talk to him. And, and he did. He comes up, you know, ah, Jesus was just a man, you know, Mary's a false god, all this, blah, blah, blah. And this night, instead of arguing with him, I just said, you know, Muhammad, I'm tired of arguing with you. Um, and really, I'd, I'd like to get to know you a little bit. So how, how did you get to Minneapolis, Minnesota from Somalia? What was that all about? How did, how did you do that? And it was the most amazing thing to watch this man's face soften. This man who for a month on Thursday night had been yelling at me, you know, challenging me and, you know, been in a turf war, <laughs> uh, a religious turf war in downtown Minneapolis with these Muslim guys. And his, his whole countenance changed because my approach changed. When I asked him, he, uh, he looked at me 
And I'll never forget, he, he said, I can never tell anyone the things I had to do to get out of Somalia and get to the United States. I had to do terrible things, and I'll never be able to share them with anyone. And, man, my heart just broke for the guy. And I looked at him and I said, that sounds like a really, really hard journey. I said, I'd love to, I'd love to hear more about it. I'd like to get to know you, man. Can we, can we go get, you know, some tea or coffee or something and just talk? And, and he looked at me and smiled and he goes, maybe, maybe next time, maybe next time. And, uh, and his guys, they turned and they walked up the street and I never saw him again. That was it. It completely diffused the conflict. And it opened my eyes to the fact that, you know, we we look at people who are other as enemies. We don't take the time to see people who come from different backgrounds, who have different experiences. We don't take the time to see them as humans. And this is a real big problem in our culture today where on the left we dehumanize the right and on the right we dehumanize the left. And the people in the center dehumanize the people on both ends and, you know, we cancel each other and we point fingers at each other and we accuse one another and we mistrust one another and we just, you know, live to be right. And what I learned with Muhammad at the street mission in downtown Minneapolis was that sometimes being right is the wrong thing to do. Sometimes the most powerful thing we can do is listen to people, to try to understand why they think the way they think, to put ourselves into their shoes just for a moment and remember that God loves them too and that Jesus died for them just as much as he died for me. And so, as a true follower of Jesus Christ, our job is to deny ourselves. That's hard. Take up our cross and then follow after Jesus Christ wherever he leads us, even into places we don't want to go and sometimes places we find ourselves unexpectedly like, I don't know, a 90% Muslim neighborhood when you thought you were going to talk to university kids. But that's the way it works. And it was awesome. The only thing I don't miss was playing a guitar on the street when it was eight degrees outside. That was hard. But other than that, I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade stoned and left for dead for anything. It was a life changing experience. Well, I hope you enjoyed this. I hope you're maybe intrigued enough or thoughtful or, you know, encouraged to go jump out and do something crazy yourself. And remember, life's an adventure. Be adventurous. Get out there, enjoy the journey, and travel well. And never forget, no matter where you find yourself, you're never alone because the God who made you loves you, and is always with you.
Until next time, have a great evening. See you later. I do appreciate you listening to the podcast, and I hope you find it entertaining and enlightening. And if you do enjoy the podcast, there's a few things you could do to really help me out. If you would, subscribe, like, share, and rate the podcast on whatever platform you're on. And you can go to my website, theeclecticmonk.com, and there you're going to find a support tab. Click there, and it'll take you to a link where you can become a monthly supporter of the Eclectic Monk Podcast. And that would really help me out. Hey, we're on this journey together, and I sure hope that you and the rest of the nine will continue with me as we move into the exciting future. Thanks again.